Blog Talk Radio.
is COVID-19 and also those who keep us healthy and wealthy at the supermarkets by keeping everything on stock. Uh, tonight's program has, has been, uh, as always, is brought to you by BioSolar. Uh, if you're having a problem, especially in this kind of weather, of you with your heat bills, the, the FPNL, FPNL, and Tico, and all the other utilities have a bill into the the legislature to raise your rates. The way to cut those rates for 25% is to call BioSolar, Bio 729-314-6976. As for Patrick, telling you here, here, you get a $200 bonus uh, if you if you take the product. Uh, it's, uh, it comes in 10 different colors. So don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't lose out. Get the 25% off your bill right now. Frank, thank you very much. That's Frank Carroll, of course, our executive producer for the show every Wednesday night. And always happy to have Frank join us uh, every now and then as well. Great night tonight for so many things going on between Philadelphia and Tampa, Florida. Roy Cummings always in Tampa, Florida, always aware of everything happening with the Bucks. And what are they doing this weekend? They're playing the Philadelphia Eagles. So we've got a lot of people to talk about the Eagles as well. We're going to chat a little bit about what's happening in Washington with Zimzak, and uh, maybe the Washington Football Club has a nickname now. We'll see whether that uh, is going to go through or not. Also, we're going to talk with uh, Tommy LeMaine, our super reporter from Philadelphia on the 76ers and, of course, on the Flyers, and uh, Mike Schulte after a great uh, uh, football contest there at the Outback Bowl between Arkansas and Penn State. We'll chat about that and Doug Hamilton with our golf tips and golf news of the week. So let's start with Roy Cummings in Tampa, Florida, because we got a couple of things to do. Uh, and we'll also chat about that game on Monday night between the Dogs and Alabama. But let's start with uh, let's start with this coming Sunday game. Roy, what do you think between the Eagles and the Bucks? Back in the day, there was they were playing that a lot when they played the Bucks in the playoffs. But uh, hey, you know, as we all know, the Bucks turned the tide uh, well, a couple decades ago now. But um, still, you know what's amazing, guys? It's, it amazes me as to how often Tampa Bay and Philadelphia have faced each other in playoff series, no matter the sport. You know, the Lightning's first playoff series ever was against Philadelphia. Um, the, the World Series uh, between the Rays and the, and the Phillies was uh, obviously the Rays' first uh, World Series, and the Phillies win the World Series for the first time in uh, forever. And um, you know, and, and obviously the Bucks and uh, Eagles have faced each other numerous times in the playoffs. And I, as I said, I think the tide turned uh, two decades ago, and I'm not sure that uh, uh, it's turned back since. Um, right now, I would say that the Bucks are clearly an, an overwhelming favorite. Um, and I've seen, you know, enough of the Eagles this year to, to have a good read on them. But, guys, I, I want to lean on you a little bit. What do you think the Eagles can do to, uh, to slow down the Buccaneers? Here's the thing about the Bucks: The Bucks have played down to their level of competition repeatedly this year. We saw it against the Jets and uh, what's going on now three weeks ago. We saw it for almost a half uh, last week against uh, Carolina. 
Uh, we saw it against uh, what proved to be, at the time at least, a mediocre Buffalo team. Um, they've yet to really play up to anyone's any competition. They, they've struggled against the Saints, which are, again, mediocre. They, they struggled, obviously, against Buffalo. Couldn't beat, um, uh, couldn't beat the Rams. Uh, so I think the Bucks, you know, have a lot of work to do. They're going to get healthy. That's going to be one good thing for them. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think, you know, there's a, all, po- all kinds of possibilities here for the Eagles uh, to, uh, to, to forge an upset here. Now, I'm just interested in what you guys have to say, what do you think that possibility is and how it could happen. Well, if you look at the game they played a couple of weeks ago, you'd sort of be a little surprised that uh, the Eagles would be a nine-point uh, <laughs> dog. But at the same time, uh, you know, they, they, last week they really didn't play any of the front-line players. They were, they were really beaten badly by the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, but I don't think the Eagles are quite ready to play the Bucks. to be honest with you. I don't know about the nine points uh, because, as you just indicated, the Bucks have a chance uh, on a regular basis to play a little bit down. And whether they're going to uh, play their A game against the Eagles and win going away or whether they're going to win the game in the home stretch of the fourth quarter, uh, I don't know. But I, I surely think the Bucks are a much better team. I don't know about nine points, but I think they are a much better team. Roger? Well, I agree uh, with that, Don. I'll tell you, Roy, I think it was uh, funny. Uh, Tony Dungy made the comment that, uh, yeah, the Bucks have played the Eagles uh, many times, and the last time he coached, the next day he got fired because the Eagles uh, had beaten the Bucks. But uh, I would say that uh, the only way that the Eagles uh, really can win this game is if they concentrate on the best part of their offense, which is run the ball. Uh, They've had a lot of success uh, since uh, Nick Sirianni uh, changed the the game plans to uh, a running game, a team running all the time that's when they started to win. And they have a tremendous offensive line. Uh, Their running game was the best in the NFL. And I think that if they're going to have any success, it's got to be that they run run the the ball. Which I think you can do against the Bucs, guys. Um, Look, we saw it again last week uh, where Carolina, you know, decided it was going to try to run the ball and, and did so effectively. Uh, it also, you know, got got the ball. You can look. You can pick apart the Bucks secondary. There's no doubt about that. And teams, I think, are sometimes uh, eager to do that and try to do it at least. Um, but again, I, I think you can run on the Buccaneers. Now, can you run on them if Vita Vey is having a good day and Levante David is in there, which he likely will be? Um, that's a different deal, you know. But the way they've looked the last few weeks, obviously, you can run on the Buccaneers. Look, the Bucks at you know several points this year and last year. You know, arguably the statistically the best run defense in the NFL. One of them at, at the very least. But still, um, they they have some gap control issues at times. And uh, and Vita Vea, you know, the key there I think is Vita Vea. If he if he's taking up two blockers, um, you know, somebody else is going to be allowed to come in and make plays. So that's that's part of it. I don't know that the Eagles can take on Vita Vea one-on-one. I don't know that they're going to try. They may try. I think they probably will. Um, but if Vita Vea is having a good day, it's going to be tough to run on Tampa Bay. And, again, that's probably where it all comes apart. But, you know, Jalen Hurts is a, is a bit of a wild card, guys. Um, 
he can run it, obviously. He can certainly throw it. Um, you know, he could have a big day as well. And if he does, uh, if, if, if somehow the defense can steal a possession, this, this could be a very close game. So I think the Eagles do have the makeup to beat the Buccaneers at this point. I think they do because they do run the ball very well and effectively, and uh, and I think it could happen. So uh, we'll see. If the, I, I still think the Bucks end up they have to lose this game. I don't know if the Eagles can win it. I think the Bucks have to lose it, but I think the elements are there for that to happen. I think the other factor, Roy, that uh, may come in a little bit because the Bucks have gotten off to a shaky start in a lot of these uh, last few games, maybe five or six games. They've won, they've won the games going away. But uh, they had a tough time to halftime, they had a tough time into the third quarter, and then it wins the game in the fourth quarter, and, and they're very fortunate to be where they are. So I think that's going to be a factor, too. I don't think they can allow the Eagles to get momentum going in the first half, uh, or they're going to have a tough time shutting it down. Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, the Bucks have let a lot of teams hang around uh, this year uh, and then come out, you know, come, come through in the end, which you're going to do with Tom Brady, let's face it. It's, uh, He's the best ever, and he's the best at that. So uh, you could be, you know, you could be up by 17 points uh, in the fourth quarter, and it may not make a difference. Uh, you could still end up losing to the Bucks because of Brady's ability to just take you down with no timeouts, less than two minutes doesn't make a difference. Uh, he's going to go down there. He's going to find a way to score uh, late in the half. So uh, first or second. So uh, the Eagles could be ahead, but you know, and that's where their defense comes in. But uh, to me, this is a this is going to be a good. Uh, a good test of, of the coach Nick Sirianni as well, because look, I think a lot of teams have kind of coached themselves out of victories against Tampa Bay this year. Uh, they've tried things that just don't work, um, uh, you know, and 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 they can't, uh, you know. So let's see what what Nick Sirianni does. Uh, what kind of game plan they put together? We'll find that out in the first, you know, fifteen twenty plays, uh, certainly through the first quarter. Uh, but again, I think they need to run the ball, but they need to. They need to obviously uh, take their opportunities and, and throw against that secondary. It is a vulnerable secondary in Tampa Bay. Um, and if, here's the thing. If you can just uh, if you can shut down the blitz, if you can pick up the blitz and, and in essence, force Tampa out of the blitz, um, you, can, uh, you can beat them. Uh, that, that defense is vulnerable. We've seen it before. Um, so, obviously, the Eagles are going to have their best – going to have to have their best day. But it's possible against Tampa. Roger? Yeah, the I, I th- the game I go back to Roy is the uh, Saints game, where they got shut out. And uh, what do you think uh, the problem was there? Because uh, maybe the Eagles need to use the same uh, strategy as uh, Sean Payton did. Yeah, a lot of it was personnel. Let's face it, uh, the Bucks were beat up that day, uh, missing some guys, and, and that hurt them. But uh, they also switched some things up and really confused the Bucks with their looks defensively up front. Uh, they were bringing Cam Jordan from different places, and um, he really wreaked havoc. And the fact that he was suddenly, you know, coming off the left end on this play, coming off the right end on this play, uh, stunting and coming up the middle on the next one, um, you know, a lot, a lot of other players uh, in that defense to make plays that day. So I think that's a big part of it. You're going to have to disguise some things. Uh, you're going to have to bring some pressure. You're going to have to take some chances against the Bucks. You're going to have to do it. You're going to have to blitz them on occasion, uh, see if you can beat, uh, you know, find the weak link, which, which is probably uh, the right guard, Alex Kappa. 
Uh, see if you can get past Donovan Smith, a Penn State uh, product, uh, left tackle, who uh, is, is very solid. But he, he is prone to, to moments where, uh, you know, he, he gets beat. He's, he's often left out there on an island by himself because face it, those tight ends are going to be out and uh, out catching passes. So, um, you know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, but the Bucks are going to have their running game back as well. Leonard Fournette should play. Um, that obviously makes it a little bit more difficult for, uh, this, for the Eagles' defense. But, um, you know, look, uh, who knows if Leonard Fournette's going to be, how sharp he's going to be. He could be a little bit uh, rusty. Um, you know, how effective is he? We'll have to wait and see. So uh, this is a very intriguing contest, guys. Before we go to the rest of the NFL playoffs, uh, because there's some great games coming up this weekend as well, I know Roger's been chomping at the bit. He hasn't slept since about 11.15 Monday night uh when a, when a Georgia Bulldog team beat Mr. <laughs> Alabama. And uh, so, Roger, uh, I'll let you jump in with a question for Roy about the national championship game. Well, all I can say is okay. I wish it was 11-15. It was more like one fifteen, one thirty, and then having falling asleep with the radio on with the postgame show all night. Um, I'll tell you, Roy, it's a, a special feeling in uh, – in Georgia, and especially in this area, uh, with, uh, the, with the dogs uh, beating the uh, Crimson Tide. And uh, I, what I found also interesting, I don't know whether you saw it or not, uh, but ESPN2 had Jimbo Fisher and his coaching staff uh, analyzing, and it's just amazing how they would bring up, oh, they ran that play against such and such a team, you know, and uh, – Oh, I thought I didn't watch the the, the whole game that way, but uh, I I just I, I think that uh, Georgia came through. I mean, they say Alabama if they uh, had all of their players uh, that uh, they probably would have won. Who knows? I mean, I just think that uh, Kirby Smart uh, is a very good coach. I think they have a tremendous team. Both teams are going to have a lot of uh, early round draft picks. Uh, go in the NFL draft, and uh, you know I'd like to get your opinion of uh, that game. I honestly thought it was one of the best uh, national championship games we've seen, and uh, you know obviously very happy for uh, for Georgia. They're put, hey, they're they're the whole state there is uh, pulling the Tampa Bay. Uh, you've got uh, you got a World Series title under your belt now. Now you've got a national championship for the college football team. Um, what's next? Forty some we'll years, Roy, since they did it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, Forty-one. Can Dooley, Bill Hawks Dooley was there. A, yeah, can the Atlanta Hawks win an NFL or an NBA title? Um, can can the can the Falcons somehow come around and uh, get back in the Super Bowl next year? Uh, it'd be interesting. But um, no, I thought it was a great game. And look, I, I, you're all people are always going to say that. Well, Alabama didn't have this guy or that guy. Well, that's fine. But you know what? Uh, Georgia wasn't at full strength necessarily either. Everybody. Uh, you know, missing a couple of people at this time of year. You do get that, in essence, month off to get yourself healthy. But, look, uh, Georgia had a tremendous game plan. Uh, it held them without a touchdown for the longest time, obviously. And, uh, you know, when, when you're stopping a team like Alabama and forcing field goals, you're keeping yourself in the game. I'm sure that's what the game plan was, staying close. We'll break, uh, we'll break a play here at some point. And they did. They got the 67-yard run. Uh, finished it off, uh, finished their drive, uh, finished a couple, made some big plays on defense. That's what you have to do. Uh, when you force opponents into throwing the ball, 
which is what they did. Uh, you dictate uh, the, the, the flow. You dictate, you know, a lot of times where that ball is going to go. And um, so they created the opportunities for themselves and took advantage of it. Great football game. Couldn't be happier for uh, Kirby Smart and for Georgia. They certainly earned it. And uh, you know what? I think a lot of people are probably somewhat bored with the, you know, the constant <laughs> SEC, you know, title game being replayed uh, in the national championship game. Um, I was a little bit, uh, you know, Taking a taking a back, you know, uh, disinterested because of that, but the game proved out. The best teams were in the championship. Michigan, Cincinnati had an opportunity to to make their way, couldn't do it. Uh, the two best teams in the nation played, and the best team won. Not only that, uh, I talked to Roger about this earlier in the week, and that is that when was the last time you see saw Alabama take a team down inside the ten yard line three times and not wind up with anything except three field goals? I mean. That shows you the kind of defense that Georgia put up in that game. And, uh, you know, Smart, I thought, coached an excellent game. Uh, I thought the game was very, very good. The final score was really indicative of the game because of the, the uh, interception with the touchdown at the end. But it was a, a very, very hard-fought game, very well-played game, and I thought Georgia deserved all accolades. I thought they won the game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, they were able to pressure – uh, the quarterback, which is something, I mean, they, they, that's what they've done all year. That's really kind of their MO uh, on defense is, you know, 45 sacks throughout the course of the year. I think it led, uh, led all the power uh, conferences in, in that regard, uh, but didn't have any in their two previous games against Alabama. Well, this time they were able to get through the line and put some pressure on, and, uh, and it helped them a, a big bunch. I mean, obviously a couple of sacks, uh, obviously pressured uh, quarterback on the last play that uh, led to the interception. Yeah, they absolutely won it, and, and they won it playing defense. They won it because they uh, they limited Alabama to field goals. You do that, again, like I said, you're going you're gonna to be in the game and give yourself an opportunity to win it, which they did. So uh, good for them. Roger? Yeah, I, I, uh, it would be interesting to see uh, how the draft does go. Hard to believe that uh, the draft will be coming up in, uh, what, two and a half months? Uh, we haven't even gotten to the Super Bowl yet, and they're already talking about, you know, who the uh, draft picks are going to be. I've seen it on ESPN, and uh, you know, and now we're now we're getting into the NFL playoffs. The college uh, game is over with, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's any upsets this weekend. I'd like to hear what you fellows think about any possible upsets. Guys, I I, th- I won't be surprised if we see three, or maybe even four, including the Eagles upsetting the Bucks. I it won't surprise me because I don't think there is a dominant team out there, outside of Green Bay. Um, I don't. Tennessee is the number one seed in the AFC, and I don't think they're the best team in the AFC. I, I, I so you know I obviously they they've earned that. Good for them, but I don't think they're the best team in the AFC. I'm not really sure who is. Um, because it's very hard to, to say, well, who's the best team? Again, Green Bay clearly seems to be at least ahead above everybody else, including Tampa Bay. Um, but the Rams, they played horribly in a very important game last week, guys. And uh, uh, so I, I don't have much faith in them. The 49ers are hot. Um, they're on a roll. They, they, they're feeling it. The Eagles are a little bit. Um, you know, over in the AFC, uh, we'll see. Uh, obviously, Indianapolis didn't uh, you know, finish things off right, so 
uh, you know, where the how do the Patriots uh, fare? How do the how do the Bills fare? I mean, we've seen so many of these teams play so poorly so many times this year that again I could see several upsets. In fact, there may be games that are called upsets, and when it's over, said and done, some people look at it and say, "Well, really, was this an upset? Maybe it wasn't because." You know, Team A here wasn't playing so well necessarily, and this team was actually playing a little bit better coming in. So I think we're going to see a couple of upsets at least. Roy, I, I think, think you made a good Sandy point about Echo. the Rams who played a, a terrible game. But at the same time, the Cardinals had to be very, very, very disappointed that they didn't win the last I mean, You got to win that last game of the season if you're going to be in the top one or two teams in the playoffs, and they didn't do that. So now they're going to get the Rams in what I think has got to be a very, very tough game for them. The 49ers, as you indicated, uh, I must have been. I'm a, I'm a John Lynch fan. So, and when they when they scored and won that game, I mean, the excitement that he brought to the booth when they won that game was really something to watch. So, uh, I think there'll be a couple of upsets. I agree with you 100 percent because a lot of these teams, even though their numbers may be a little bit different, are, are pretty close in talent. Yeah, yeah I agree. But boy, let me. What did what did you think about uh, San, Sandy or San Diego? The Chargers uh, calling timeout when they could have let the clock, and the Raiders evidently were going to let the clock run out, and they both would have made it into the playoffs. Yeah, um, I, I, I just I, I still don't understand why you don't just look. You're play, what are you there for? You're there to get to the playoffs. You, 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 if you let the clock run, you're going to the playoffs. Um, so, you know, I, I just, to me, I was shocked. Um, again, it was one of the confounding things that I saw over the course of the last weekend. Um, obviously, you know, what happened in Indianapolis was confounding. Uh, the way the Rams played was confounding. The way the Chargers, you know, managed the clock at the end was confounding. Um, I, I, what, what happened with Brian Flores in Miami was confounding on Monday. Um, yeah, I, I didn't understand it. I, I think you got to go back and look, look at that and say, hey, you know, what are we trying to do here? What's our objective? And um, it was a little crazy to me. Well, I think the Chiefs will have a relatively easy time. I'd, I'd like to see uh, the Steelers make a game of it, but I just can't beat, you can't see them coming up and beating the Chiefs. But I do think the next game along the line, I think the Bills and the Patriots will be an excellent game. And, uh, you know, they split during the regular season. Uh, Belichick completely outcoached in game number one up there in Buffalo when the temperature and the wind was so bad and they ran the ball three times or passed the ball already three times in the whole game. Uh, I think that's going to be an excellent game and very, very well played. Yeah, I think that's really the game of the week, uh, guys. It's a rivalry to begin with. Uh, Again, you know, the Patriots, I don't think anybody really expected them to be uh, as strong this year as they uh, as they proved to be, uh, certainly at the end, not the way they started. Um, a lot of changes there, obviously. But, uh, you know, hey, how can you not be somewhat rooting for, uh, obviously this is the case in Philadelphia, but uh, eliminating the Eagles if it happens, uh, how, do you, how can you not kind of be hoping at some point for maybe an Eagles-Buccaneers, or I'm sorry, uh, Buccaneers-Patriots-Super uh, uh, Bowl? That, that would be really interesting. But, um so yeah, I think that uh, Buffalo uh, Patriots game is going to be, uh, to me, that's the that's the best game of the weekend. And you know, will it play out that way? I don't know. And I agree with you on the Steelers. I don't know that the Steelers have you know what they need to. They barely got there as it is. Right. Um, they're not very strong. That's clear. If you watch them, you know, week in and week out, you see that there's a lot of deficiencies there. But you know what? Again, 
there's a lot of deficiencies everywhere. Everybody's got deficiencies. It's I'm not sure I can remember a time, guys, in the last 20 years plus where so many playoff teams have had have looked so ordinary um, as they do this year. Uh, it's why I think, as you you know, going back to your original question, uh, I could see three or four upsets, quote unquote, uh, this weekend because again, outside of Green Bay, maybe Kansas City. I'm not sure I see a dominant team. Can the 49ers make a game of it? They came out uh, the last five, six games of the season and played excellent, excellent football. Can the 49ers make a run against the Cowboys? Yeah, I think they can, and here's why, guys. So do I. I, I Right now, I favor teams that are playing their best football right now, and that's the 49ers. They are. Rams aren't. Cowboys might be, um, so that's a heck of a matchup, but – if you're going into these playoffs strong, Kansas City is, um, you've got a chance. I, I, look, you're feeling it. You're, you, you're, you've got the confidence already, uh, and I think you're going to continue to see that grow. So uh, you start off strong, uh, you can certainly put down a better team. Is San Francisco to the better team between them and Dallas? I don't think so, but are they playing better football right now? Maybe. Roger, we'll let you wind up this first half hour. Go till we got about a minute and a half before Roy has to go to dinner. Yeah, I you know I wanted to ask uh, Roy. Uh, he, you mentioned about Brian Flores. What a shock that was! Uh, there's obviously uh, more behind the scenes uh, in that situation. Uh, but uh, what do you where do you think uh, some of these potential coach, coaching candidates will wind up, Roy? Yeah, it's really hard to know. Um, I, I look, I think a lot of teams are probably just, you know, getting started on their, uh, in their, with their interviews. You're seeing some names get thrown out there. Obviously, some of the Bucks' names are big. Uh, Todd Bowles, uh, Byron Leftwich. Uh, I've heard a lot of talk about Byron Leftwich in Jacksonville, where, you know, obviously he played for a while. Um, might not be a bad choice. Uh, personally, I'm, look, I've said it before, guys, I'm not a fan of promoting coordinators necessarily. I, I believe in professional head coaches. I mean, everybody, just about everybody that fired a coach this weekend, guys, was firing a coordinator that they thought could be a head coach. You know, Matt Nagy, Brian Flores. Flores shouldn't have been fired, but uh, but, but Matt no, Nagy, right. and, you know, go, go through the list. And um, I just think, look, I understand that's, that's the normal uh, path. Uh, you, you show yourself, but, but off, too far too often. People get excited about a guy like Matt Nagy because he had a good year, one good year as the coordinator of a team that got to the Super Bowl or, or went deep in the playoffs, and everybody thinks, well, it's his turn. It's his turn. And then you find out two years later, three years later, four years later, uh, that, you know what, he's not a head coach. He's a coordinator. And, you know, they found that out with the Giants for the third time in six years. Uh, the, the Bears, I mean, you just you just hired, you just drafted yet another first-round quarterback. You've had two now in the last, what, three drafts, and you're probably going to end up drafting another one, if not this year, then the next year, because you're starting all over again. And Roy, I, mean, I think you also I mean, have to throw that, uh, into that web, the they, fact that certain clubs, the Giants being one of them, they can't afford to take a, a, an unknown quarterback or, or coach their court to run that club. They need a general manager, and they need somebody with stability. And, and there are a number of clubs in that same area. Detroit would be in there. I mean, you can't just go out and hire somebody as an offensive coordinator when he has minimal talent and he had any experience. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Uh, look, again, I'm a fan of 
professional head coaches. You know, guy, uh, you think think right. Bruce Arians. Uh, they're hard to find. Okay, I get that, but that's why I'm not so eager to just go fire guys because you didn't. It didn't work out for you this year. I mean, did the Bears ever really think that they were going to win their division this year against the Packers the way they are? Only if Aaron Rodgers ends up in uh, in Denver. I mean, did they really think they were they were ready to be a playoff team and go deep in the playoffs? Hell no. I mean, the, the right. Dolphins. I mean, they, they, what in the world are you thinking? You're on the path you want to be on. People believe in your coach. Your players believe in your coach. You, you took a big step forward this year. That, that, that's a horrible mistake. Um, you know, and, and again, the, the Giants. I mean, come on, figure it out. Figure out who, who your quarterback is going to be first. You haven't figured that out yet because you know, there's another team that's probably going to end up looking at the quarterback. So, you know, it just it, it's so hard to determine. It'll be some hot coordinator somewhere will end up going somewhere, and guess what? He'll get fired within three years. And, we'll be, you know, these organizations will continue to go through the same process as they have for so many years already. And they'll well, just I think you're right about the, uh, the coordinator uh, for, <clears throat> for the Bucks. I think he's going to be one of the top guys to be named a coach. I hope if he does uh, get the opportunity to coach, I hope he gets the opportunity to coach with a team that has at least an opportunity to go 500 in the first year because it, it is very, very tough to come in as a head coach without any experience, and your team is just not qualified to be a winner. Roy, thank you so very much, as always, for the first half hour. We're going to have a lot of time to talk next week about all these games and all the things that are going on, as well as the rest of the sports scene. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys. I Roy, it. take care. Have a great week. Take all care. Right, same to you guys. Thank you. Mike Zibzak, you are ready to go. And my first question to you I heard earlier this week that the Washington Football Club, in fact, does have a nickname. Uh, I know they were going to wait till what February something, ninth date, but it looks to me like something sort of edged out of the out of the backwoods. Well, they haven't made any official uh, pronouncements, right? Yet, so I can't really confirm or deny that any reports of names that they may have. What uh, is your thought? Have, uh, until they announce it, uh, I'm not going with it. I've heard various things around here about the, um, people reading tea leaves. I, I think what you're talking about is this report that they're going with the admirals. Um That's what I heard. I, I, yeah. 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 Um, I don't know whether to – Everybody's trying to read some tea leaves and see, like, oh, um, engage which way they're going to, uh, to to go. And I don't know how much stock to put in it. it you know, CBS is saying that they leaked it, that they um, the uh, website, the WashingtonAdmirals.com, redirects to the team's official website. And is this an indication that they may be going with the Admirals? Um, it could be. Uh, it would be really, 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 really poor on them, though, that if after all of this time, after all of these 18 months, that a technical glitch like that basically ruins the release of this brand. And that's something that they really right. um, – it's very, very important to the team to get this whole entire process right because of all the amount of time that they've taken, because of the um, – amount of money that they've spent. And but, Mike, let me interrupt you for a second because we spent a lot of time last week talking about different names that they could 
put to the Washington football team, but they'd have to buy out the logo. It, uh, the Admirals do not seem to be a logo that they're going to have to pay a lot of money to get. There's been some stuff about that. that you know, the, the Admirals are not one. The Commodores are not are, are another that they wouldn't have to use. Um, and, you know, it's been basically kind of well-received around here. You know, you, you, all the Navy folks in D.C. are very, very happy about it. All the Army folks aren't. So, you know, <laughs> but you can't make everybody happy. Roger? Well, they, do you think that it's possible that uh, they screwed up so bad that they'll change their mind? But I'm looking at that whole organization, Mike. They're screwed up, I mean, in, in almost every way. You know, Roger, it honestly would not shock me if they dropped the ball on this. It would be perfectly in line with everything that we know about the organization and how it's been run and the people in charge. I have said multiple times on this, um, Jason Wright, who's been handling this, is either the smartest guy in the room or the world's biggest buffoon for, you know, stringing this along for so long and going through all of this and these different brand reveals and the whole entire making the brand internet segment. You know, it, it just seems like so so extra ancillary when all you needed to do is just, you know, hey, we're going to release the name on this day and then put it up and then that's the end of it. Um, given their track record, it's easy to believe that they could have messed it up. And I think that's why this rumor has gotten so much traction is because it's believable that they could have fumbled the ball like that. And, you know, basically a month before they were set to make this big brand announcement, they've kind of tipped their hand already. Well, Mike, let's uh, move into what now becomes a a very big factor, the National Hockey League, up until we get to the NFL playoffs and things, football season comes to an end. Now the Hockey League, uh, National Hockey League, can step up and get a little recognition. And in Washington, you're at a pretty good spot right now because uh, as you look at the, as you look at the standings, I mean, you got Carolina, you got uh, the Rangers, and you got Washington. But uh, in all honesty, the, the whole conference is very, the whole division is very, very close. The division is close, and the. To be honest, the Caps have been struggling a little bit. Uh, Ovi's scoring has glossed over some weaknesses. I think they're 1-9, in overtime games this year, so they've really struggled there. Their power play has not been scoring. Uh, they've gone through a three-goalie rotation. Uh, Ilya Samsonov, who was the heir apparent to Braden Holtby between the pipes has a goals against the average that's approaching three and a save percentage that's going south of 90%. So he's not having a great season. Uh, It's been kind of a mixed bag for the Caps. Uh, And you wonder if not for Ovi scoring at the rate that he was, where they would be, because this is a team that has, you know, have some issues. We even saw it the other night where they somehow managed to score an own goal on a delayed penalty. Roger? Yeah, that that was uh, surprising. 
And uh, have the Caps been affected by these uh, postponed games like like the Flyers have, for instance, Mike? There a lot of talk about that. Uh, I was listening to a show today or yesterday about uh, the impact that it's had on uh, – well, the Flyers, it's, it's had on them. It's it definitely affected them both in terms of postponed games. Remember, this is an older team. So the more they have to play on back-to-back nights, the more games that they have to play in a short amount of time, uh, the less time for recovery, the better the chances that they're not going to be at their best. At the same time, these disruptions have prevented them from getting any sort of cohesion and momentum getting going along. They're now starting to get back guys off the injury and the COVID list. You know, TJ Oshie, um, Nicholas Backstrom, they're all starting to get back in, but they're going to need a run of games before they can get up into anything that resembles midseason shape. And these are important guys that they're going to need. So it's been a lot of turnover, and it's been hard for them to kind of gel. And I think that's how you see it play out on the ice when they're losing these close games, these overtime games, and the fact that their power play unit has been so deficient is because they've had to chop and change so often. I think, Mike, we could talk about Carolina, we could talk about the Rangers, we could talk about Washington, but we can't leave Pittsburgh out of the picture. Pittsburgh uh, has been a consistent club over the years and seems to be consistent right now. I have to feel that that's the best division right now in hockey. Uh, it's a pretty strong division, and again, whoever gets out of that one is going to be, uh, you know, you can either look at them like they're going to be a really uh, strong contender, but you also say because they're having to play all of these games against such consistent competition day in, day out, week in, week out, you know, physically what type of shape will they be in? Because there's really no let off um, for them. There's no games where they can kind of, you want to say rest while playing, right? There's, there's, there's no easy matchup in that division. So how much of a toll will that take on them? It is still a long season. We haven't gotten to the all-star break. We haven't got to, um, we're just now approaching the midway point. So a lot can still change. Well, one of the biggest disappointments, uh, we're going to hold this off to the next segment because Tom Lamaine will the uh, really outstanding sportscasters in Philadelphia is going to join us to talk about the 76ers and the Flyers, but certainly the Flyers are a major disappointment at this time. Let's let's swing over to football or back to football, the Washington football team, and uh, you were a little bit dubious last week about whether uh, they would change head coaches, but they did not do it. Oh, I didn't think that they were going to change head coaches. I never thought that they were going to change uh, – fire Ron Rivera. I do have questions about whether Jack Del Rio will be back. Uh, As of right now, he is. uh, Based on the press conferences yesterday, uh, both he and Ron kind of indicated that uh, they expected him to be back. Given that defense so wildly underperformed this year and the stunted development and the problems that they had with uh, Mike, not only that team, but the last three teams he's been the defensive coordinator yeah. for has struggled, struggled, struggled. So I agree with your observation. And But Jack is 
um, is Ron's like right hand man. He's the assistant head coach. When Ron was going through cancer treatments and when Ron had his health issues, it was Jack who's doing the press conferences and taking the practices. So he really is like his right hand man. And you see Ron surround himself not only in terms of coordinators with his guys, but by bringing in um, Martin Mayhew and um, Marty Herney in the personnel office, he's got his guys. So you almost look at it and say, okay, if he doesn't want to get rid of Jack Del Rio, who's going to fire him? Um, so I was a bit surprised there. I do think that, and, you know, Ron stood up and answered the questions, and he, he, gave, he had a um, pretty long press conference with uh, Mark Mayhew yesterday. Uh, going to, you know, just the typical year-end stuff, um, the disappointments, talking about the injuries and things like that. And all of those were major complications, but I do think that, you know, there were issues. They've got to resolve the quarterback play. The defense was certainly a problem. You know, yes, they were the most injured team probably outside of the Baltimore Ravens when it came to COVID and things like that, but they were having issues before all of those injuries mounted up, and personnel and depth has been an issue before. You know, Ron has never really had to develop in his tenure a quarterback. He got to Carolina, and Cam Newton was there. Um, You know, now he's in a situation where he has to go out and find a franchise quarterback. What direction is he going to go in? Are they going to try and go in the draft? Are they going to make a trade? He definitely didn't close any doors yesterday on anybody like Deshaun Watson or Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, any of those big-name quarterbacks who might become available. So there's still there's a lot of questions that he needs to answer. I, uh, Mike, thank you very much. Let me get uh, get Roger, get the last question in. Tom LeMay is waiting on the wing, so uh, get the last question in for Mike, and we'll go right to Tom LeMay. Well, I'll tell you, it's going to be interesting. That's a good point, Mike, because he, re- I guess he really never has had to uh, develop a quarterback, and, uh, and now it's going to be interesting to see which way they go and uh, and what Dan Snyder's got financial difficulties too, which one is uh, debt, correct? Um, yeah, right, right. he's got. I wouldn't say like he doesn't have the money to afford. He certainly got the money to pay contracts, and they they've got a lot of contract room. I think the debt comes more into play when we talked about the stadium issue and how to finance that or something. Yeah. Um, his ability to put together a competitive product. It's been a long time since. The uh, Washington football team went into an off-season like this with as much money as they have to spend. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do and where they spend it. Well, Mike, thank you very much for your segment. Always great. And uh, we got into a little bit of everything, the nicknames, the football teams, everything that's happening in the Washington area along with the, uh, the Washington Capitals. So thank you so much. We'll meet with you next week. Looking forward to it. Take care. Have a great week. Same here, Mike. Take care. Have a great week. Tom Bain, one of Philadelphia's outstanding sports casters, joins us every now and then. And Tom right now is in the heart of what's happening. We can talk about the Flyers. We can talk about the Eagles coming up on Sunday down here in Tampa. But we're going to start with the 76ers. We don't normally talk NBA basketball, but we're going to start with that tonight because the Sixers are close to the Nets, but not quite there. Tom, what about it? Oh, you're right about that. Uh, 
Let me add one more thing to the previous uh, conversation. I would like the Washington football team to spend a little money on FedEx Field. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's terrible. I mean, it's uh, I, I have never seen a broadcast location worse than the one at FedEx Field. And the field itself is no shakes. And, and you know, the, the uh, tragedy that was avoided when the Eagles played there right. and the fans uh, fell through the railing. Spent a little money in squaring away that field down there or maybe getting a new one. Okay, now. Tommy, they've been trying to do that, but just like everybody else, there's no money available right now. So I think they're either going to have to make some major construction repairs there or I don't know what they could do. I, I just can't see how they come up with the money to put up a new stadium. Well, I thought I just heard there was money, but maybe I misunderstood that. At any rate, uh, it's uh, the 76ers. Uh, I intended to go to the game tonight, but uh, uh, the schedule was changed around, and uh, they're down by 14 points to uh, Charlotte, but uh, there's still a half to play. Uh, you know, the, the 76ers, uh, you know, have never been able to uh, figure out how they're going to throw a lineup out there ever since the uh, Ben Simmons question. Remain just out of question whether he's going to play, whether they're going to get players for him or not. And uh, I just think that uh, whatever the situation is with Ben Simmons, the 76ers are certainly right to hold off to get the best possible deal. This is not, you know, you, you can say what you want about Ben Simmons, his offensive deficiencies, but he is one of the top three defensive players in the NBA. And I've always thought that uh, Ben Simmons, the 76ers, we're a better team with Ben Simmons in there. Uh, I think Ben either got some bad advice or is uh, just a lack of maturity in what he did at the beginning of the season. You, uh, Whatever your desires are, if you do not want to play or you have a problem with the team you're currently on, you don't, uh, you don't air your dirty laundry in the open. You go into the front office and you say, yo, I got a problem here. Uh, but for him to just come out, once you say you don't want to play in Philadelphia, forget about it. You know, that's it. And it's more of a fan's thing than it is an NBA uh, official's thing. And I just uh, think Ben made a big mistake by coming out in the open with uh, his desire to leave Philadelphia. They could have worked this out, I think, in uh, in a little more quiet and more uh, private circumstances. Anyway, Professional. uh, Professional. Yeah. yeah, it would have been a professional way to do things, and I, I don't think it hurt. I don't think it helped the Sixers or Ben Simmons himself for that. <laughs> Roger. Also, not, Go I ahead, Tom. I don't, don't have, I don't have COVID. I just have a cold. But um, yeah, you're right, Don. Professional is the word that should have been used there. Well, you know, Tom, there's the the organization. They own the Devils. They own the Sixers. Uh, are they are they really totally committed to yep. uh, winning? Like yeah. Maury is still there, and you hear comments about that. You know, he really never did anything in Houston, and he hasn't done anything there. You know, what's your opinion about that? Well, I think the book is uh, still uh, to be opened on him. I. Uh... I do hope that he uh, sticks to his guns by saying, you know, we're not going to get uh, chicken feed for Ben Simmons. We're going to hold out for the best deal. You know, Ben Simmons has four years remaining on his contract. Guys that have done this before have maybe one year left on their contract. So the Sixers are holding all the cards, 
And uh, I think that uh, Darren Murray, uh, you know, I guess, Roger, to simplify your question, uh, he may uh, establish his legacy as to what happens with the Ben Simmons situation. Okay. Well, the one thing about the division is that uh, there's a great parity within the division. We talked about the National Hockey League in the last segment and, uh, you know, where the where the National Hockey League was and how competitive it was. But I'll tell you, in that division, it's so competitive all the way from the Celtics down there right back up to the top of the Nets. So you're not going to make giant strides at one time. You're going to have to win game after game after game, inside, outside, on the road, not on the road. You're going to have to win games. Well, of course, uh, but, you know, as, as, as strong and as uh, evenly balanced as that division is in the NBA, it's exactly the opposite in the NFL. Uh, the Eagles are fortunate to be playing in the NFL least, and they are very fortunate that they play the Washington football team and the New York Giants four times because with, without those guys, the, without schedule favoring the Eagles playing those teams four times, they probably would not be in the playoffs. I mean, that's just a terrible league. And, you know, and I really don't think the Dallas Cowboys are that strong as we're sliding into football here. Um, As a matter of fact, the way I look at it for the upcoming uh, weekend, I think the Eagles have just as good, if not a better chance, of beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers than the Cowboys have of beating the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, one big problem is the, the reward for the uh, Eagles would be the uh, Green Bay Packers. Uh, the reward for uh, the Cowboys and the 49ers would be the Los Angeles Rams. But, uh, you know, that's what you do when you're when you're seated that way. But I really feel that way. I, I think I've always thought that throughout the season there's been uh, a little weakness in the armor of the Dallas Cowboys, and I think that will show up this Sunday against the 49ers. Roger? The, uh, let's move over to uh, to hockey, our, our favorite uh, sport and favorite team. The, uh, the, we talked a little bit about the Flyers, Tom. They've had games that have been postponed, rescheduled. Uh, and as Don said, they really uh, have uh, really been – not achieving what we expected them to do. Uh, what do you think? Uh, are they going to con- continue on this uh, uh, path, or do you think that they will turn it around? Yeah, it depends on who's going to be able to play and who's not going to be able to play. Uh, okay, they get one defenseman back, and then they lose their best defenseman. They get another defenseman back, and they lose their second defenseman. So it's been like canceling out. And, uh, you know, if they were going to cancel the game against the Carolina Hurricanes because of lack of players, they certainly should have canceled the game against the Pittsburgh Penguins the other night when they really had right. nobody. And the Penguins were just, you know, on a roll. They won 10 in a row or something. Uh, you know, it, it, you, you can't really look into that future, Roger, because you don't know who's going to be playing and who's going to be out who's not going to be playing. Right now, right. they're what? They have a dozen points. They're half a dozen points out of the final playoff spot, the wild card. And I don't know if they're going to have enough personnel to finish out the season and make up their seven games. The the, the wild card in the whole situation has been the New York Rangers. I mean, they're they're the comeback team of the year, 
and uh, they're you know they 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 don't have to play for a wild card spot. They're they're playing for the top spot in the uh, in the uh, NHL division they're in, and they made major changes. The big change they made was getting their coach. Uh, he uh, is probably uh, in the top three in my estimation of coaches in the NHL. And not only that, but they went out and got some tough guys. They made some good good good, good trades, and they become a tougher team. And uh, the Rangers are for real. They've got good young players, and they've got strong veterans that are in there. And I think the Rangers, uh, they're going to be one of those teams, you know, you can say Tampa Bay, uh, of course, but uh, the Rangers are going to be one of those teams who do not want to play in the playoffs. And uh, well, I think one uh, of the things you could touch on, Tom, is that uh, one of the, not only the Flyers, but I think uh, going back to what Roger said, uh, he didn't use the word disappointment, but I will. I think they are a disappointment to this point. I think most people thought they'd be in the middle of the pack or up. The only team I think in the National Hockey League is more of a disappointment is the Islanders. Now, Torch just got himself COVID, so he's got to be out for a while now. But the Islanders just haven't been able to do anything the right way. Well, in addition to the COVID problem, which has hit all teams, the Islanders had to play their first 15 games on the road down. And that was a tough way to start the season. And then when they finally got to play on the new they were hitting the bug probably harder than any of the teams in the NHL. So that answers your question as to why the Islanders are such a disappointment. Um, for many reasons, I really thought the Islanders would be competing. But, you know, that first 15 games on the road, plus the way the COVID has hit their star players, that combination. Um, it got the Islanders off to a bad start, which they haven't recovered. And uh, now the Flyers, you know, but they got they got the Boston uh, Bruins and the Pittsburgh Penguins to jump over to get into that spot. So Roger, well, Allen, the Islanders got killed at the beginning of the season too by not having a new arena open, and they had to play so many games on the road. That that really hurt them at the beginning. Yeah, sure. that's exactly what I'm saying. And like like I always say, oh, in baseball. Uh, the games in April are just as important as the games in September. Uh, right. The same way with hockey. Roger? I think it's Yeah, you're exactly right. Wise. We talk about that every year. Uh, and uh, anything new on the uh, front uh, with the uh, Phillies? Or it's, I guess it's just totally quiet because of the, uh, the lockout, right? They're meeting tomorrow, Roger. Yeah. First meeting oh, is tomorrow. Okay, yeah, well, that's encouraging. Yeah, they're, they're and, right, Roger. You, you can't say much when nothing's happening. Well, I, I talked to Larry Litwin today, and it appears the uh, sports writers is going to be, what is it, May 2nd, the banquet? We're going we're gonna to go for May 2nd now, right? And, you know, as it was with the first change we made, who knows what's going to happen between now and May 2nd. I mean, everything is up in the air. With the, uh, COVID. Exactly. Uh, it's really, it really, it's really a long shot and a great handicap for uh, us as members of the Philadelphia Sports Writers Association to set a date for the banquet. It's really a difficult, difficult call to make. Well, Tommy, for some of the Very folks difficult. that are not familiar, Philadelphia Sports Writers one of the oldest uh, organizations in sports, and they had to cancel dinner last year because of the COVID, and they had to schedule for the first part of February this year. Uh, the meeting the other night, they pushed it back down, and, 
uh, to May. Yeah, so uh, it's still very much up in the air, uh, no question about that. But before we let you go, Tommy, uh, you touched very briefly on the Eagles uh, game against uh, the Buccaneers. They go in a nine-point underdog, which is a little bit of a surprise to me that they're quite nine. But I didn't think it would be quite nine points. But I guess the bookmakers know a lot more than I do. And uh, some of your thoughts about, uh, you said you thought maybe they might be one of the upset games. Uh, some of your thoughts on that. Well, well, I just said that I thought that the, uh, well, upset or no upset, I thought the Eagles have a better or just as good a chance of beating the Tampa Bay Bucks than the uh, Cowboys have of beating the 49ers. I would really expect the 49ers to advance. I think there's too many chinks in the armor of the Dallas Cowboys, and the San Francisco 49ers are going to expose that. Uh, but I think uh, Brady and the Buccaneers have a little chip on their shoulder. They, uh, they didn't like losing to the, uh, the Eagles early on the season, and I think they have a little more added incentive to, uh, to this game, and maybe that's why they're a nine-point favorite. And, you know, the Eagles got in really when you think about it, the easy way, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, it doesn't take much to get in the playoffs when you play in the National Football League least division, and which is the East Division of the NFC. And I, uh, I uh, really am uh, not surprised at the line, uh, nine points. Uh, maybe I would take the nine points. It might be closer than a lot of people think, but uh, I really think the Bucks are going to come in there with a real chip on their shoulder and say, yo, you know, you ruined our, play, our party the last time around. You ruined our party in the, in the uh, Super Bowl. And we're not going to let you, Tom Brady speaking, I should say. And I don't think he's going to let that happen this time. Roger? Tom, before yeah, before you go, uh, I wanted to ask you, we, we rarely talk about much about college basketball. Um, how's the uh, Philadelphia Big Five plus one, the Big Six, so to speak, with Drexel? Um, how's everything going this year? And I know Jay Wright went into the Hall of Fame and well-deserved, and uh, uh, they were the last I saw, but I think they were ranked, what, 20 or, in the, you know, around 20. Um, how does, how does the uh, college basketball uh, situation look? Well, you know, Villanova is, is the cream of the crop in, in, uh, in what is called the, the Big Five or the City Six, whatever you want to call it. But, uh, you know, it, basketball has become such an even playing field uh, that one player, you know, can make the difference in, in, in a bet, obviously, because you only have five on the floor. But, um, you know, Villanova always seems to have, uh, you know, this year, you know, they always seem to have a Dante or an Archie, and this year they have a Gillespie. You know, they always seem to have that kind of a guy on their team. And uh, they've got him this year. And uh, I think uh, they're not off to the uh, to the start that they wanted to be off on, but um, you know, Big Five Temple has its ups and downs, and uh, Penn. I don't know whether they're going to be able to return to their glory days when uh, when they had the uh, NB, when they had the uh, Ivy League championship all the time. And with Chuck Daly was there. The then. Chuck Daly, one of the best NBA, best coaches ever. Uh, you know what I always say about what made Chuck Daly great. When he coached that Detroit uh, Pistons team with those cracker packs of a bunch of players, I think for him to be able to control those guys the way he did and win a championship with them, to me that was the greatest attribute of Chuck Daly in his illustrious career. You know, 
when you think of the guys who were on that team, to be able to control those guys who were way out there, I mean, they were just off the charts kind of people, let alone basketball players. Uh, Chuck Daly, uh, Don really, really, uh, really has, uh, solidified himself as an, as an all-time coach with that kind of a team. And, you know, no, I, I look at Villanova as a national team. I, I think of all the teams we we talk about, the people that are unfamiliar with Philadelphia basketball, the Big Five, which has been really the heart and soul of basketball in Philadelphia for 100 years. Uh, but now Villanova is a national team, and it's very, very difficult for St. Joe, even Temple, which uh, has won a heck of a lot of games. Oh, They're losing right now to Tulsa 42. I'm watching the game. 47-42, Tulsa's beating him in Tulsa tonight. But Temple had some runs. When John was there, we had a great 17 consecutive years where he was competitive. He was in the NCAA tournament each year. He only went to the NIT one time. Uh, and But St. Joe's, LaSalle, University of Pennsylvania, I don't see how they can become, even though you're saying it correctly, say, or need one or two players, but they used to be able to get one or two players, the outstanding players from the Philadelphia area, to be competitive. They're having a tough time and have had a tough time over the last eight or ten years doing that. Yeah, a lot of teams have that, simply because of the, uh, of the, the equal playing field that NCAA basketball has become. You know, it all started back in the day when Butler surprised everybody. Uh, Gonzaga now, you know, was Gonzaga a factor when John – when he was coaching Temple? No. Well, Gonzaga's an anomaly. I mean, that guy, Mark, he's, well, he's unbelievable. Same way the Butler was an anomaly back in the day. Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. The playing, the, playing, the, playing field, the playing field is so even now, Don, that uh, it has diluted as what was a powerhouse of basketball in the, uh, in the Big Five. However, what still remains, there is no other city in this country that has that many successful basketball programs within the city limits that Philadelphia has. Far That's true. No That's true, and, That's, and has been true for a long, long time. But and, many and, uh, years. I can't, I can't remember the last year that Philadelphia didn't have two teams uh, get into the NCAA tournament. Not necessarily win it like Villanova did, but they always had either with St. Joe's would get in, or LaSalle would get in, or Penn would get in. Or Temple would get in, and Villanova, of course, has been a, 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 a you know a steadfast NCAA playoff team. But I can't. Yeah, but you know, with, you know when that happened, though, Don. More often than not, when two Philadelphia teams did make it in the playoffs, they would play each other in the first round. You know, it was always scheduled that way. It seems like. You know, you know, you like to see one of the teams, you know, go further in the uh, in the playoffs. But more often than not, if St. Joe and Villanova were in it, or Temple and Villanova were in it, they would play each other in the first round, and one of them would be eliminated right away. Which I well, I'll, I'll make a little bit of a comparison, because, you know, when the Atlantic 10 was uh, in full swing and Fordham was in there, you're a Fordham guy. I mean, they, they, they went from the coach at Notre Dame, Phillips, to, to now, and they can't win anything. I mean, it... it it is very, very tough in this competitive market to recruit kids if you don't have, first of all, A1 facilities, if you don't have A1 coaching. I mean, it's just so difficult. And you go up to, you know, to Fordham, and they're still playing in the same building 
for the same thing that they played with in 1938. Well, you know, it's uh, it's really amplified in college football. You know, Georgia and, uh, and Alabama, they might as well play another game and make it a best of three. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that game the other night was the of the Southeast Conference Championship. And, you know, that's going to happen the way you do talk to you about in basketball on a smaller scale than it's in football. I mean, Kansas City is like uh, two clicks short of the G League in basketball. I mean, when you're a football, you're a prize member, you know, where are you going to go if you want to play football? You're going to go to the SEC one way or the other, and uh, same way with basketball now. You're going to go, if you're in a well, you don't know how the whole thing with the, uh, with the licensing and everything is going to turn out for these players now. If that ever becomes a reality, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a very even playing field in the NCAA when it comes to basketball. In football, it's just the opposite. It's the SEC, and then there's everybody else. And that was no more evident than this year. Oh, let's let poor Cincinnati in there. They deserve, they beat Notre Dame and all that. Boom. What happened in the first round? Boom. Let's get Michigan in there. Isn't that a great story? Michigan hasn't been there in so long. Let's get them in the final four. Boom. You know what? They just should have scheduled Georgia and Alabama to play a best of three. Well, now it's going to be a lot more difficult, Tommy, because of the players switching from one school to another that first or second year. I mean, it seems like Georgia Georgia and Alabama can pick a guy up. Georgia's already picked up a couple. Alabama's already picked up a couple. We haven't even got... To the uh, you know the the, the college well, you know, draft uh, yet. So yeah, if, if, if Georgia if, Georgia if, Tech uh, Georgia Tech got four transfers, uh, including yeah. a a kid from Syracuse that was had his, just already finished his sophomore year. He's already in class. They all four of, and he's from Central Bucks West. Uh, Tom, well, you, know, you know you probably you know the player can't play. You know, the player can't play for Alabama, I'll play for Oklahoma. You know, and, and it's just, it, it's, uh, you know, but the bottom line is, the SEC is so far ahead of everybody else in that, and it's going to stay that way because it just perpetuates on its own merits. And uh, I don't, uh, I don't see it. I really don't. Tom, let me let me say this. But uh, after being here for a little over a year, moving back, it is unbelievable uh, the difference. And I look at uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium with the Falcons and all the empty seats. And they they do like on a, uh, the radio pregame show. They don't have a sideline reporter anymore, uh, you know, like Howard Eskin is on the Eagles and most of the teams have one. That's number one. And, and uh, the, the uh, Georgia pregame show – uh, on the radio is four hours, and then they have another show that's two to four hours post game, and the 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 support that's there, and as Don knows with uh, Bulldog Illustrated, and uh, uh, that comes out every week. I mean, I've just never seen anything like it. And and then when you look at the Falcons, that uh, you know they were almost a 500 team. But and they they didn't achieve what uh, we thought they would. But they and two years ago they the almost NCAA, won. Three years ago almost won the Super Bowl. Almost I know. And and you look at that well, the stadium with all the empty seats. 
I mean, uh, and, you know, and I saw other stadiums this year in the NFL. And yet, you know, you you can't uh, you have difficult buying a seat to a Georgia or Alabama or any of these Southeast Conference uh, schools. Well, to, to your point about the sideline reporters, three Philadelphia teams let their sideline reporters go. The uh, Flyers, the 76ers, let their sideline reporters go. Uh, oh, did they? they uh, oh, yeah. I mean, they, you know, they let their sideline. And basically, the Philadelphia Phillies did. Uh, Murphy was, was let go. He's no longer a sideline reporter for the Phillies. He has features he does on the field. Uh, Howard Hickman probably is a, uh, is, a, is a rare occasion, but, it's, but we're talking about radio. The sideline reporters I'm talking about that the Philadelphia teams let go were television sideline reporters. And I, uh, you know, I just think that it's, they're cutting back, Roger. I, I don't know. Uh, 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 the owner of the Atlanta uh, Falcons, I, I don't know how you feel about him. Uh, I've always thought him to be a fine gentleman. Uh, he, you know, he, he, I guess he does tries to do the best for his team. Uh, uh, Mr. Blank, I think, is uh, is a good owner. I, uh, you know, but winning oh. football is going to put fans in the seats. But I go down there more. Maybe you can tell me more about him. Tommy, are the uh, well, TV crews traveling with the team this year, or are they still broadcasting out of the no, studio? No, no. And uh, you know what? I don't know how much of that. You know, I really have a, a bad feeling about this, Don, because when I found out that a team can save one hundred thousand dollars by not sending a team, and everybody, it costs, for instance, uh, they could save a lot of money by not sending these guys. Uh, on their road trips. Not that the guys would want to go, maybe, because of the COVID situation. But, you know, the old story, Don, the more they can find out they can get away with, the more they're going to get away with it. And uh, I, you know, I, I, I really feel bad for the broadcasting industry. It's, it's being stripped down to the bare bones. Uh, the sideline reporters, uh, the uh, teams not broadcast. You know, I want, to, I want to say hello to John Land, who uh, is a uh, play-by-play guy for the uh, San Antonio Spurs when they were here the other night. But the PR guy for the Spurs told me they're not traveling. I wanted to congratulate him. He was just new to the Saluki Hall of Fame. So, and uh, I wanted to see Sean Elliott. He was one of my favorite guys. And, uh, you know, I got they were missing. Uh, they didn't even bring their radio guys. The radio guys stayed home. Sometimes the radio guys will travel, but the TV guys won't. They'll, you know, watch the game on a monitor which is happening here in Philadelphia and many other uh, teams throughout the, uh, the uh, leagues. And uh, I did get a chance to talk to, uh, to Greg Popovich. I wouldn't be surprised if it's his last uh, season with, uh, with San Antonio. And uh, one of the sports writers came up to me after the game and said, I heard you call Popovich captain. I said, that's right, I did. And he said, why did you call him captain? Because I said, because he was a captain in the Air Force. He's the only guy in the NBA now. He was a former military guy. And he said, he talks to you more than he talks to us at least by five minutes. And I said, because we don't talk basketball. That's uh, it. Pop can be you got very, it. Uh, they, they, uh, Pop can be a very abrasive guy. He has what is called uh, honorable disrespect for a lot of things. For instance, when they asked him, he was eight guys short when San Antonio played the Sixers the other night. And one of the questions well, Tommy, we've seen a lot of changes, not all of them for the best, especially from uh, – our industry standpoint. Next time I have you on, I want to talk a little bit about NBC Sports Philadelphia. What are they? Uh, 
what are they eventually going to do? Because really they've already cut down the pre-game shows and post-game shows and things of that nature. Uh, we'll talk about that next time, and we've got to go from uh, to the Outback Bowl, from Tom Lamini to the Outback Bowl. Tommy, thank you very much. Tom, have a great week. You Thanks so much, as always. Take care Thanks, of that Tom. cold, buddy. I Thank said at the Roger top of the show that. last week, I'd apologize a little bit because uh, Mike Schulte normally is with us uh, well, week in and week out, but he had so much to do cleaning up business from the Outback Bowl. But, Mike, first of all, before we talk about the game, Arkansas and Penn State, the crowd, the day, what a beautiful day. Oh, thank you very, very much for all your hospitality, Frank and uh, myself and so many others who have an opportunity to uh, take advantage of your hospitality Thank you so very, very much. You had another great performance. Well, thanks. It was a it was a fun day. Uh, had a had a really nice game, and and we were happy to to host you guys and and uh, all the other media that were there and the fans that were in town for the game. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I'll tell you, the uh, I thought uh, maybe over the last eight or ten years, you're about a better position than I. I thought the teams traveled big time for this game. Penn State, I guess, always travels big time. I didn't know that much about the traveling party for Arkansas, but it was all red on the right side as we looked at it from the press box. And uh, you had a great following from the from the schools themselves and the, and the alumni. Yeah, we we really did. You know, we you know we were very fortunate um, in that both teams I think were excited about being in the game. Uh, we had not had Penn State in our game uh, for 10 years, uh, so that you know, so it had been a while since they've been back. And of course, they didn't play in any bowl game last year, uh, in part because of the COVID issue. And then, uh, so I think that, I think their fans were excited about being here. And Arkansas it was their first time in our game. Uh, it was the first time in 15 years they had been to a Florida bowl game, um, and it was the first time in history that Arkansas had ever squared off against Penn State on the gridiron. So uh, a lot of a lot of uh, incentive there, I think, for the Arkansas fans to uh, to make sure that they made this, this bull trip. And obviously, of course, our, our destination here is just, you know, is terrific. And, uh, you know, all the schools really love coming down here, um, not only the destination, the stadium, uh, the hospitality that they receive here, uh, the, the bowl schedule that we do and so forth is, has a really good reputation. So, uh, you know, when you add all those things together, uh, it was definitely a, a situation where, where I think the fan bases of both schools were uh, were excited about turning out and supporting their team and, uh, and being able to have a great trip uh, in a beautiful destination uh, while supporting their, their home team. Rogers down there well, right Mike. in the heart of the uh, college championship game, Alabama, Georgia. And, uh, Roger, uh, your first opportunity to see that much college football in quite some time. And I'll tell you, the Outback Bowl is the same idea. Boy, oh, boy, it's great to see the turnout for college football. Well, you know, I was going to say to Mike, it just goes to show you uh, what a class uh, act uh, you and the entire uh, organization is. And uh, the uh, it just. I'm sorry. Yes. Somehow he dropped. Oh, Mike dropped. Yeah. Let me get him back on. Oh. Okay. okay. We'll, see. we'll see if we get yeah, him back I, on uh, once yeah, again. Yeah, I, I was just. I was just going to say that uh, the, you know it's just as a, a an indication, Don, ahead, of, uh, of 
Okay, uh, Mike, I was just going to say uh, it's just an indication of you and the entire organization of the Outback Bowl uh, of, of what a great job you do. And, I mean, we kid around about the, uh, uh, the food and the steaks and the press box. But really, you know, what you do for the community and everything else. And uh, I, I know Don got to see a friend of ours that we've, uh, Joe Giuliano, uh, who's with, been with the Philadelphia Inquirer, and he's retiring. He's going to do some special projects. That was his, that was his last regular, assignment, Roger. I saw him in the last press box. Last assignment. Yeah. And I'd love to talk to Joe because he's been all over, and I'm sure – uh, none of the bowls could uh, match uh, what you do. But uh, getting to that uh, championship game, I mentioned earlier, uh, I did watch some of the uh, ESPN2 coverage with Jimbo Fisher and his uh, coaching staff uh, in an auditorium, I guess, you know, on campus. And I found that very interesting because they were bringing up plays that had been run against different teams during the year. I mean, it's just like, they're just a, an encyclopedia. Uh, it just shows you what a coach is. But, uh, you know, I was interested in your assessment of the uh, national championship team or game. Well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a, an older guy, so, so maybe this is an analogy a lot of people don't understand these days. But I thought it was uh, like a heavyweight uh, fighter uh, bout. Um, it, it was a Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier kind of a deal. Uh, these two guys uh, just punching at each other, and, and I mostly from a defensive perspective. Um, you know, the defensive side of the ball for both these teams were so good, and you could sort of see how that was. Uh, you know, both teams having, having you know, trouble, you know, uh, moving the ball at times, but then, you know, the defenses would bend a little bit, but they wouldn't break. Um, you know, relegating both both teams to field goals through most of the game. Um, you know, you know, a lot of people can say, well, that you know, that's boring because they weren't scoring. But I thought it was. I thought the nature of why it went that way uh, was very intriguing because you know both teams had such good defenses, so many really good players, and they were going after each other uh, with everything they had. And and I think uh, you know I I thought that was very entertaining. Um, it, it was certainly a, a very stressful nail nail biter kind of game if you're rooting for one team or the other for a long time there. But um, I I was very impressed with both of these teams. Uh, they are uh, without a doubt the two top teams in the country. Um, and on any given day, if they played ten times, they probably each win probably five games. And and it's just. It was uh, it, it was impressive from that perspective, but like I said, I I'm not one to get all excited about. Well, you know, it has to be a lot of scoring necessarily to be exciting. Uh, not when not when the reason they weren't scoring is because they, both sides were going after it as hard as they were and had such great defensive play. Well, especially when you see Alabama get down inside the ten yard line three times and not be able to come away with anything but a field goal. I can't I can't really remember when that's happened in the last 10 or 15 years with Saban down in Alabama not to come up with a touchdown. But uh, one of the things, I'd be interested in your, uh, in your comment on this because you listen to the games, you follow them close, closely on radio and on television. I, I just think they're too much with the Telestrator. I mean, by the time 
they got finished by the telestrator halfway into the next play. I mean, I don't think you have to point out every single game on the top. I mean, you can, if you're sitting there watching a game, you, you see where the right guards go and you see where the defensive players go. You don't have to telestrate every single play. What do you think? Well, you know, I mean, that's, that's personal preference, I guess. I, you know, I, there were a couple times when they were running, they were trying to run, uh, uh, you know, hurry up offense a little bit where they got a little bit behind on, on that part of it. Um, you know, I, I like the uh, analysis that they're giving. Uh, I don't think they always have to necessarily, like you said, use the telestrator all the time. But they, but you know, I do like, uh, you know, I do like to learn a little bit about, you know, some of the things because these guys a lot of times will be watching certain players that you may not be watching, you know, during the course of the game. Um, you know, I, I, I thought that, uh, you know, I, I'm personally a little bit more um, upset with the. Uh, uh, the officiating replay yeah. kind of stuff where it oh seems like they God. have to replay everything to death, uh, you know, no matter what happens. And it's just like, sometimes it's like, you know, it, it was pretty obvious um, on what was happening, but you know, on the other hand, you know, then you had that play uh, with the Georgia quarterback and, and how they, you know, what was obviously a, you know, an attempt to throw the ball away and then they they somehow ruled that a fumble. I right. I, I I have no answers for what. Especially the rule when you thought of about when Young, yeah, you know, was in a very compact situation and just like underhanded the ball, and that was a forward pass incomplete. And then you look at the one you're yeah. talking about, and it's not a, it, yeah. <laughs> you know it's a fumble recovery and, and they're giving Alabama. Well, well, and, yeah, and, and and Bryce was you know he he was he had a guy bear hugging him and he barely moved his forearm forward which he did and basically threw it right straight down on the ground, right. And so which they ruled pass which is fine I I can sort of understand that but then they didn't call uh, intentional running because he obviously you know wasn't throwing it to anybody he was literally just throwing it into the ground, and so that should have been uh, intentional grounding whereas uh, when uh, when Stetson Bennett threw the ball downfield and, and there was no player there because the player broke off batter and they called an intentional grounding, you know, right. And they don't right. know right. Where, the where, of the field. Where, where you were supposed to go or not, you know? So, you know, it's just, you know, I, I don't know. I, we've gotten to the point where there's almost uh, too many rules or, or too many variations of rules. Uh, I think interpretation of the rules. Yeah, 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 that's the thing. It's, it's Ab- like, absolutely. you know, and then, and when it can't be corrected by replay, like you said, that, that, that fumble, I, I'm still trying to figure out what, how in the world that, that was a fumble. But I, thankfully, it didn't cost, uh, uh, you know, the, the out, didn't determine the outcome of the game because uh, right. I, I think a lot of people would have been uh, extremely upset had uh, had Georgia got on the loss and lost because of that, um, because of that, that call. So. Roger. Mike, they 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 were uh, all uh, Atlantic Coast Conference officials, and uh, when for your bowl, uh, are the officials assigned uh, in by the NCAA? Uh, do you go out and and get the officials, uh, and do they come in as a team like the NFL has team officials or uh, of officials for the regular season? As soon as they get into the playoffs. They take the best performer in each category and that's graded, 
and which I think is wrong because now you have guys that have not been working together. But how, how does the Outback Bowl get their officials? And the uh, I know the the like the Pac-12 in one of the bowls uh, that uh, they were the officials were from there. How does that process work? Well, we we don't have anything to do with it, and uh, none of the bowl games really do. The the NCAA assigns uh, the, the officials, and what they do is they select a conference that is um, uh, that is not represented in the game. So in our case, with the SEC and Big Ten, we would never have SEC and Big Ten officials. We would have we typically have officials either from the Big Twelve um, or the ACC, for instance. Um, uh, as far as the unit, I, I'm pretty sure they do it as a, as a team, but I don't, I don't know that for sure. But obviously, you know, because, you know, the, from the same conference, they probably have worked together in some capacity, but we don't have anything to do with it. They, we, we find out from the NCAA, they tell us, here's your official fishing crew. Here are the different names. Now, now you guys pay for them to fly in and you pay them, you know, whatever their, their fees are. Um, that we have to pay, and uh, and we don't have any say in it or, or anything. The only thing I know, like you said, is, is they are going to be from a, a conference who doesn't have a team in the game. And the, the other thing that they, they instigated um, probably about 10 years ago now um, is that the uh, if it's, in, in our case, you, you have two teams playing each other that are from Power 5 conferences, the conference officials that, that – uh, do our game will be from a power five conference. Um, they, they won't be from, from, a, you know, the, the group of five conferences or, or something of that nature. They used to do that. And there were some, uh, uh, situations that, uh, that arose, uh, one of which was in our game that, um, where it didn't really work out well. And so they, they, they decided that they would have uh, officials. And my knowledge is still the same, um, that, you know, from, from power five conferences, so that the officials were dealing with a level of players that uh, they were used to dealing with on a regular basis, uh, as opposed to you know um, you know a, a lower division team that that you know you know that, that maybe they weren't used to seeing the kinds of things they were seeing at the Power Five level. Mike Schulte, our special guest, Mike, of course, been associated with the outside pool for what thirty? How many years, Mike? Thirty something. Thirty-three years, yeah. Thirty-three. What were you? Twenty. You're still when you a started? young guy, Mike. It was twenty when you started. I was really young. Well, I worked. Mikey. I worked all. I've actually. I've actually been to all, all thirty-six games. I've. I worked as a volunteer the first few years during the bowl week. So. Uh, so I've actually. Uh, I've actually worked all thirty-six uh, years. You brought up a terrific point, Roger. And I talked about this uh, a little bit earlier in the week, maybe the end of the last week. I can't remember. When you brought up the portal. And the portal now, I mean, look at what's that. We've just had the championship game, and already we got players all over the country <laughs> ready to make a move to someplace else. And, uh, I mean, to me, somewhere along the line, you're going to have a very tough time keeping the good players. Let, let's say you're, you you have an outstanding player, and he's playing at, uh, I don't know, mid-school somewhere. You're going to have a tough time keeping these kids with the portal where they can just jump to another school. You brought it up last week. 
Yeah, well, you know, the the thing that I've been talking about all year is how the portal has definitely changed uh, the dynamics of of some teams and, and allowed some teams to be able to to improve themselves much quicker than just going through the the normal process of of recruiting kids and letting them mature, um, you know, through the through the the ranks, um, you know, at least at least you know the way it is today and the fact that you know uh, so many kids are out there doing the, the using the portal uh the NCAA um uh instigated a rule in the last couple of years i guess uh that you can transfer one time for free if you will um meaning you can transfer one time without having to sit out so a lot of the kids are taking advantage of that and, and you're right i mean it's you know it, the reason that they had always had uh, in place uh, a rule where you had to sit out a year was to try and um, make sure that kids didn't, didn't just jump ship for, you know, just cause, Oh, I didn't play this year. So I'm, I'm going to go play somewhere else. Right. The flip side of that though, too, is that, you know, uh, it, I, I think it is fair to allow them to, to move at least one time so that, um, you know, they, they can, you know, try and find a place to play. I mean, you, you look at, um, you know, some of these situations with, you know, quarterbacks is, is, is not, you know, any position really, but, you know, a couple of the quarterbacks here recently, you know, where, you know, you got a guy that, uh, well, Georgia could be a situation. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but, you know, JT Daniels was supposed to be the guy and uh, Stetson Bennett sort of came up and, 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 and filled in there and, a walk on, you know, and, and yeah, well, you know, f- former walk on and he came in, and, and got a couple starts. And then on oh, next thing, you know, you know, the team is clicking along and, you know, suddenly JT Daniels isn't even playing anymore. And you went from a team that you, you, you literally, you have two big time, you know, um, division one power five quarterback starting quarterbacks on the same team. Now it's great for depth for Georgia if they need them, but at the same time, you know, a kid like JT, you know, might sit there and say, okay, you know Stetson's going to be here, so we're, so maybe I need to to look at going somewhere else to play. Uh, it, it happened actually at Georgia a few years ago with the, with uh, Justin Fields. You know he was a third string quarterback there, and they had the kid there. I can't remember his name, who got hurt the first game, and Jake Fromm came in as a freshman, uh, along with the, Justin Fields was a freshman. Jake Fromm came in to replace him, took over the starting job, and he ended up playing for the next three years. Well. Justin Fields said, well, I'm not sticking around because I'm now Fromm's the guy and now I'm not going to get any playing time. So he goes to Ohio state and look what happened with him. So right. I, I think it's a, I think it's good that they are able to move around, especially when you sit there and say, well, coaches are allowed to leave. Why, why can't players? I've always personally sort of felt like if a coach leaves a team, then the players he recruited should be able to, to leave a team, you know, to, you know, since he, since, you know, they're not playing for the coach who recruited them. But With at the same pedaling. time, I think it's good. Yeah, I think it, yeah, I think it's I think it's uh, it's good yeah. that they have a chance to move at least one time. Yeah. I, I think it's you know as long as they don't have a situation where they can just move every single year, uh, because then it, it just becomes a complete mess. But you know it's it's only fair to the players uh, to be able to say, hey, you know, I I want to have a chance to to play someplace, and and uh, I, I you know I'm not going to be able to do it here because I'm you know, second or maybe even third string guy here, I can go somewhere else and play and not have to sit on the bench for my, my college career. Well, Mike, Mike once again, congratulations on, on the I, I mentioned it earlier. I, I, I mentioned it earlier. I, I, I mentioned, excuse me, Don. I mentioned this earlier. Uh, Georgia Tech already has 
four transfers that are already in class, in classes. And, I mean, these are not, you know, slouches. Uh, they've got the junior tight end, Luke Benson, who's from uh, where Don and I are and Frank are from uh, in the Philadelphia area. Shout Bonnie went to Central Bucks West. He's coming from Syracuse. Redshirt sophomore Zach Gibson from this area here, right down the road, Alpharetta, uh, uh, Georgia, Johns Creek, and he's coming from Akron. Redshirt sophomore offensive lineman Pierce Quick from Trustville, Alabama, Hewitt Trustville High School, and the University of Alabama transfer. And a sophomore offensive lineman uh, from Milton, Georgia, also right down the road, Paul uh, Tacoa, and he was at Clemson. So, I mean, except for the Akron, maybe, but there's three guys that are going to help Georgia Tech. That uh, the, the, the worst they're going to be is a junior, and they're all in, in key positions. And, uh, you know, this is just scratching the surface, and they're already in classes. It's amazing. Just following up about the uh, portal like you were talking about. Yeah, well, and, and that's that's what I've been saying all season, is that that's why you see some of these teams that suddenly can turn themselves around quickly because they're not just getting re- young recruits, you know, 18-year-old kids coming in here, you know, that are really good freshmen. They're getting guys transfer in, sort of like basketball is done forever, right? You know, they get kids, right. say, about JUCO or something like that, and then they come in and yeah. they fill a, a spot that, that needed to be filled, and, and suddenly they got all the pieces of the puzzle. You know, you're starting to see that now with football where you can make a big difference. You can make a move to get better a lot quicker, it seems like now, with, with these guys being able to transfer in. If you if, if you can um, get some of these guys to Mike, Mike let over. me interrupt for a second because Doug Hamill has been waiting on the line and uh, our segment for this hour is up. But, Mike, thank you once again for your hospitality. The Outback Bowl was terrific to be there and be a part of it. And we'll see you down the road, of course, as the season unfolds. Mike, congratulations on another great, uh, successful Outback Bowl. Sounds great, guys. Thanks for everything. appreciate it. You have Thank a good day. Take care. Doug Thank Hamilton you, is, uh, in fact, sitting in the wings. Uh, I don't know whether he's dejected a little bit or whether he's up a little bit. Uh, Baltimore has had a, a very difficult last week of the season. Uh, first of all, Doug, is there anything on the golf front that we'd like to talk about first? Well, let, let, let's uh... – Let's back up for just a second. I I, uh, I caught the tail end of what you guys were talking about there with regard to uh, the portal situation. And just from listening, it seems like, you know, I can appreciate the fact that uh, individuals want to transfer based on playing time. But let's not also forget that a lot of these individuals, and I don't know what percentage it is, I fell into the student-athlete can, uh, category you know, some of these individuals may want to transfer based on the fact that they made the wrong decision of school in general, whether it was what they offered in terms of a major or the atmosphere that the school presents. Right. Um, you know, Very I, mean, I understand that. Right. Well, listen, I, I understand that, you know, college athletics has become a business with regard to, you know, trying to pay these kids and give them, you know, these different rights, whether it's video games or jerseys or all these different things. But, let's also not lose sight of the fact that there are also student athletes that are trying to, I would hope at least get a degree or further their education at the very least. Um, 
you know, maybe they were a, a small town kid that that went to a big time school that doesn't like you know that that size of campus, or maybe they decided that they actually want to you know have a fallback option with regard to their major and their profession uh, that they picked the wrong school in general. Um, I can appreciate the fact that you know they may not get the playing time they want. Um, you know, and again, that's all part of it. But that's again, that's that's just my two cents worth. Um, well. I want to say one thing, Doug, uh, or ask you a question. I think your uh, spouse is very happy. Okay, with the, with the listen. And did you get my package, my envelope, Roger? Roger, we 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 got the mail. Um, you know, if, if there was a if there was a uh, a national ranking in terms of, of teams in our household, I think you vaulted up a whole bunch of spots. Uh, because when I when I opened that up and I get I mean she immediately took the Uga magnet and directly put it on the refrigerator. Um, you know the 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 information, the things that I can't thank you enough. Um, she, she was just over the moon, delighted. What a nice gesture. Um, I hate to tell you, but I'm really not used to people. Uh, doing nice things for me. Um, that was wonderful. I really appreciate that. She appreciates that. Um, she is on cloud nine. Um, you know, we watched the game together, and, you know, it just, you know, it's been on the news. Uh, her uh, her parents have called her to get, you know, what's, what do you want, sweatshirts, hats, all these different things. I mean, you know, the the whole stinking family is going to be wearing something, you know, related to Georgia, except for me, um, you know, but it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, we, we've taped the game. We're going to watch it several. I mean, she, she is, and, and I told Frank this when he patched me in, I'm like, you know what? I am a diehard Baltimore Ravens fan. And every spring, uh, you know, when they break training camp, there's 32 teams that have a chance to win the Super Bowl, but that going and only one of them wins. So there's a lot of people right. that are heartbroken at the end of that season. And I haven't seen the Super Bowl since 2012. I haven't seen a World Series since 1983. So, you know, the, you know, if your team is in that hunt and you have a chance, it is very dynamic for you to win that, that opportunity. If, that, if it's a national championship or if you're the Stanley Cup or what, whatever it is, it's daggone hard to win those things. And when you do and you're in that hunt and you get all the way down to the end of that, Gosh, man, there's no feeling like it to to see your team achieve that. You know, it's a great thing. So she she well, is t- in a great place right now. Well, I'll tell you, I was over at a store locally today that uh, has uh, all the paraphernalia for high school teams in the area and also college, Auburn, Alabama, everything. They yeah. can't keep in stock the uh, uh, nice T-shirts, real nice long sleeve ones. I think they're thirty four, thirty five dollars, and they oh. just to show you that game is not forty eight hours old yet, okay? Right. And they already have them printed with the championship game score sure. on them, and they're flying out everything. It's amazing. Well, let me tell you, there's going to be a bunch of kids in South Africa, okay? They're going to be wearing uh, national champion Alabama hats, you know, yeah, all the rest right. of the season. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Let me right. just interrupt and say Temple won a game tonight. They're now ten and six, <laughs> and knocked off Tulsa just a couple of moments ago by four. They were a two point underdog going in, and they got the win. Uh, Doug, getting back to you, uh, I think we brought up in the first half hour of the show. I think the Patriots game mm-hmm. against the Bills may be the best game of the weekend. 
Uh, your observation mm-hmm. on that one? Yeah, I, I think there's uh, some really good games uh, this weekend, and, and this whole Super Wild Card thing obviously is is pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested to watch. You know, a lot of these football games. I mean, back to your original point. Um, you know, as a Ravens fan, you know, I'm I'm actually kind of relieved uh, to some degree that this season is over because, you know, they they just they they were eight and three. They lost their last six games, and they they were relentless in their pursuit of a victory. You would have thought that they could have won one of those last six games. Five of them they were in. Two of them they lost on you know, two-point conversions at the end of the game. Um, they had overtime. They had last-second comebacks. They had all these things, and they really just, you know, tried super hard to, to put that, that next player-up mentality in. And, and, you know, I thought Tyler Huntley played great. I thought all the reserves that they had in there really performed well. And the synopsis I get is from listening to, like, 105.7 and the guys that, that criticize – the fact that we missed the playoffs and, and people are talking about, you know, Greg Roman and Wink Martindale as the coordinators and John Harbaugh and, and all these different things, you know, somebody needs to lose their job and they need to rebuild and all these different things. And I'm like, you know what? I think you guys are missing the boat here because they had a lot of players that really stepped up that probably wouldn't have gotten that playing time that they got, they got a chance to get those reps and, and see, you know, really what they can do because, they have right. a lot of decisions to make in this off season. Um, and it's very true that Lamar Jackson played the last year of his rookie contract basically for free when they brought in all these different veterans to, you know, piece together that quote unquote window that, that they could win a, a, a Super Bowl. Um, you know, they have uh, one, two, three, four, what's, uh, eight draft picks, seven draft picks in the first four rounds or something of that nature. Four, six, eight draft, I think it's eight draft picks in the first four rounds. So, I mean, they, they have the draft capital. Um, they'll have to make some decisions on, you know, which players they want to bring back and resign. Um, you know, they have the opportunity to, to, to resign Lamar and extend him uh, to lessen that cap number. They have, um, I don't know, uh, Marcus Peters, they have Ronnie Stanley, they have all these guys that they could, you know, potentially lessen that, that cap hit by extending those individuals or, or moving some of that money around. Um, you know, it's a business, and they have a chance to, to move some, some pieces on the chessboard. So, you know, again, it's partly relief because I just couldn't stand watching them for one more week, try as hard as they could, but just not do it. You know what I mean? I know um, what you mean. Roger, we're getting to the home stretch. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, Doug, I meant to ask you last week. We were talking about, uh, you know, some of the broadcasters in D.C. When you were at George Washington, uh, did you yes. ever listen to Ken Kittress? I meant to even call you about this on WMAL. You know, it, um, well, there <laughs> Our locker room, uh, with regard to, to what we listen to on the radio, we always listen to um, either DC 101, and I love the Grease Man. Um, he was just hilarious, and I know that he got himself into hot water uh, with some different things that he said, but a lot of the stories he told on, you know, were just hilarious. We listened to um, WPGC 95.5, um, and in my dorm, I hate to admit it, but I, I never had cable. Uh, so, unfortunately, I had to watch 
uh, the Washington Redskins play every stinking week. The best week in football was when they had a bye week. And uh, George Michael was, was the voice that I was used to hearing uh, for those four years because of that Redskin report. Um, you know, so that George was kind Mich- of the extent of the George of Michael media. Machine, too. Every Sunday night. Yeah. Yeah. Machine. Yep. Yeah. And and was it WFIL uh, radio back uh, when they went to the pop explosion? Well, the reason I asked about Ken is his his son was a catcher for Catholic U. And I think okay. he would have been there about the same time you were at GW. But yeah, he was, 90, on, I was there uh, 92 to 96. Um, that's what I thought, yeah. And Ken was at uh, at MAL to 95, and then he went to the team, nine, uh, 980, when they went all sports. And he was there right. for several years. And uh, But I, I figured that uh, you guys, uh, because the way he was so supportive of everybody, uh, sure. You know, in college sports, and that's what we were talking about last week. That um, I I meant to ask you whether uh, you had ever, uh, but you know, I know you guys were listening to music stations. So I can understand mm-hmm. that. Well, I mean, listen, the the rules of engagement were a little bit different back then. Uh, we my freshman year, uh, we played what you would call a fall schedule. So we played like Georgetown, Navy, my. Um, I want to think we played like Trinity, Coppin State, and some just local. We were allowed to play quote-unquote scrimmages, you know, and then obviously after that the NCAA stepped in and they mandated the fact that you weren't allowed to. Your season was X to Y, and, you know, they mandated that you had to have one day off completely free of all activities, whether it was, you know, weightlifting, travel, uh, whatever, um, you know, in the hopes of of getting some of these kids to – um, you know, go to school and, and actually go to class. Um, for us, that was typically Mondays, which, you know, it, it's it's no different than the NFL saying that they have these quote-unquote voluntary, um, you know, uh, sessions, if you will, from a come from a practice standpoint, and in the off season, the OTAs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. you know, there wasn't right. there wasn't anything voluntary about what we did. Um, I can tell you, it's exactly one mile around the reflecting pool because I ran it. And the coach, the coach stood there with a stopwatch and said, "If you're not back here in less than seven minutes, you'll be back here every morning at six a.m. until you do." <laughs> Let's jump back to the well, Baltimore area where you are, and uh, Harbaugh's name has come up again. Uh, Willie leave Michigan? Yeah. He, he took a pay cut to uh, secure things last mm-hmm. year when he didn't have a great year. It was certainly a tough time against Ohio State. Things really changed this year, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think? Any, any comments well, he, in Baltimore as to whether he'll uh, he'll leave Michigan and come back into the National Football League? Well, I mean, uh, Jim Harbaugh um, is 58 years old. I mean, you only get so many bites at the apple. Um, yeah. You know, he, he he beat Michigan. I mean, he beat Ohio State. Um, a lot of his draft capital in terms of uh, what's it, the Aiden Hutchinson and. Haskins and a lot of these guys are going to probably get drafted. So, I mean, I, right. I think he, he knows his window is, is kind of, I mean, the, that whole process, I mean, you recruit somebody, they're, they're not going to be a viable player for what, two years, three years, whatever it is. So, I mean, um, it's a completely different game, but I mean, he's obviously in cahoots with the Davis family in, in Oakland where he got his original start in NFL. Um, he has ties to, to the bears where he played, um, you know, I think he's going to be a hot topic in terms of 
Um, you know, he was very successful in San Francisco, so I, I, I foresee him coming back to the NFL. It's just a matter and there's of a lot of openings right now. He can be interviewed for, sure. for an awful lot of places. Yep, yep. I think he'll be back in the NFL. Well, they also think Doug Peterson's had uh, at least uh, one, I think, in Jacksonville. But it wouldn't be—I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, uh, you know, uh, we were talking to Roy Cummings uh, earlier about he believes in uh, head coaches and professional head coaches. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. rather than some of these uh, uh, coordinators, okay, like yeah. uh, Brian uh, Flores. There's no way that yeah. guy should have been fired. No way. <laughs> right. I mean, other sure. than. It was ego, and you know, with uh, with the owner, okay. But uh, yeah, the funny thing was about that, Roger. They said it was a conflict between the players and the coach, and yet when he was fired, every player came out saying what said what a superior guy he was. I, I mean, it was yeah. mixed reviews. Yeah, yeah well, but the, Don, the that, other that... thing. Go ahead, Doug. I apologize. That, that that whole deal, I think, was extremely political. I don't think Brian Flores wanted. Uh, Tagovailoa, um, I think he got stuck with him. Um, you know, I, I think there was a, a power move that was going on there. I think Brian Flores is an excellent head coach, and I think he got screwed. Um, you know, where, will he surface again? Look, the NFL has placed uh, that that whole Rooney Rule thing uh, where you have to, you know, interview these um, minorities, so to speak. But at the end of the day. Is Brian Flores a viable coach uh, candidate for your, for your team, whether he's white, black, Indian, red, purple, or whatever? Absolutely. Right. The guy can coach exactly. football. Um, so right. he, he'd be tops on my list regardless of, of what someone tells me I have to do. You know, he, he seemed like he was a no-BS guy, that a, a player's coach. And as you mentioned, Roger, the, the guys all came out and, and, and spoke up for him. So exactly. should he land exactly. somewhere else? Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, well, the problem with some of the the guys of uh, Belichick's uh, on tree is that mm-hmm. they go in acting like mm-hmm. Belichick, okay? Right. You know, the way they talk to the media and everything, and that yeah. doesn't work. Time. Okay? Thank you very because much. Let me talk back to Frank, our executive director, yeah. and we'll get all together next weekend. Take care. Weekend. Take Have care. a great week. Yeah. See you, Have fellas. a great week. Take care, Don. Have a great week, Frank. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you, Roger. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every day of the week in grateful appreciation. The men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women of the Police and Fire Services, and those on the first line, first responders to COVID. Uh, When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please let them know you know they're there. These programs are also dedicated to those who lost their lives in line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant <coughs> Jeff, uh, Deputy Chair Jeffrey Shaz, Sergeant Thomas Bager, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Chills, George San Diego Officer Mike, Mike Wilson, uh, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, uh, Tom Wilson, Sergeant uh, Charlie Condit. Tarvis Springs Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Chief Al Hogan, Wilmington Fire Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, <clears throat> Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant James, Sergeant Charles Levitty, Elizabeth County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Arnaco Christen, Lakeland PD, 
Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police Department. Deputy Josh Myers, Minnesota County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Materno, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Arda Cook, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. And Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. My brothers and sisters, I know you may be 10 7 at this point in time. At some time, we'll be 10 10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hand. Good night, God bless, and have a great week.
County Dispatch to 1999. All units be advised, 1999 responded to his last emergency. May God rest his soul. Good night, Bob. Good night, Bob. We love you and we miss you.